Good morning. I think we'll get started. So today's talk is about uh, unconventional careers in uh, science and engineering for PhDs. Um, I have no firsthand experience in this topic. Uh, <laughs> being a, uh, a lifetime academic, um, I've been working in academic research labs since 2003, the summer between my sophomore and junior year in college, um, and I've been pretty much continuously engaged in academic research for the last 15 years. Um, prior to that, however, uh, from the ages of about 8 to 11, I worked in my uh, dad's dry cleaner tailor shop um, for a penny a minute while I counted change for customers. And um, uh, when Super Nintendo came out, I demanded a promotion uh, to get a dollar an hour, and I got Super Nintendo in 1993, which was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> After that, uh, I had a paper route, route, depending on where you're from, uh, for, for, uh, for a short time. And then I did uh, custodial work at BU, uh, Boston University, for a summer cleaning up after orientation students and their parents, uh, none of which involved uh, getting a PhD in science and engineering. But nevertheless, no one is really qualified to give this talk because there is way too much information to any, for any one person to have firsthand uh, knowledge of. So uh, what is this talk about? You know, why, uh, why, why, why are you here? Well, it's really hard to find information about, quote, non-traditional career tracks for PhDs, uh, in part because your advisor, like me, is probably a lifelong academic and doesn't necessarily uh, know what it's like in the real world. And also, uh, if your uh, career aspirations involve technical knowledge or creating knowledge of any type, and I think a PhD is really like a black belt in creating knowledge, um, not just the topic that you studied for your four to six years uh, in graduate school, but really it's like becoming a Jedi master in creating new knowledge. Uh, those skills are actually applicable to a wide variety of, of um, areas of knowledge work. Uh, nevertheless, when industrial recruiters come to campus, they're almost always interested in you for your technical skills, but maybe your career aspirations are a little bit different than doing similar work to what you've been doing uh, as a PhD student. So the point is that scientists and engineers have myriad, I love that word, transferable skills. You have technical knowledge, the ability to innovate, the ability to work in teams, ideally, uh, the ability to form and defend an argument, and the ability, again, ideally, to communicate uh, results. Uh, and to some extent, of course, I'm joking, like you have to be able to do this, otherwise you can't write a thesis, right? So this is something that, uh, that you're definitely qualified to do. Sometimes the key is just knowing what the search terms are. Uh, I remember I went to a, a talk uh, when I was a postdoc in the business school. I was interested in entrepreneurship and maybe if in the event that I, you know, I was interested in startups at the time, but I was interested also in startups because if I became a professor and something, some invention came out of the group, I would want to know the first thing about what to do, how to finance it, and so forth. And the professor, who was an economics professor, had never raised venture capital money ever for, for any reason, uh, gave a talk 
uh, for an hour where he talked about what is a uh, what is an SBIR, what is an STTR. Don't worry about what that is. What's the difference between venture capital, private equity, um, uh, uh, other types of new venture financing? And that was all really cool. Like he he wasn't part of that industry, but just because those terms were on the board, I actually knew where to look when things when things actually uh, were uh, presented themselves uh, to me as as an opportunity. Um, so, so part of the, the, the challenge is just, or part of the solution to the challenge is just knowing what the search terms are so that when you're ready to look for a job, you know what you're looking for. You know, they say that, that all the information's all on Google anyway, so why do you have to know anything, which is completely the, the wrong way to, uh, to approach things, um, because if you don't know what to search for, you're, you're gonna waste a lot of time and spin your wheels. And usually the time between when your PhD is ending and the time your, your postdoc is ending, or PhD, and the time you look for your next position uh, is a very short window. So you really have to have, have your, uh, your, your act together at that time. So, uh, so, what's, so one of the, you know, the, the upshot, I think why uh, many of us are here, tenure track academic positions are exceedingly hard to come by and not everyone wants to continue working at the bench in a similar role to what you've been as a PhD student or postdoc, or uh, as uh, what is uh, sometimes uh, derisively called a, uh, a permadoc on like PhD comics and so forth, uh, which is somebody who, who, um, who is in the lab uh, when they, they can't legally call that person a postdoc anymore because they've been there way, way longer, um, but they basically do the similar job to a postdoc. And while that, that is maybe a good job for somebody who wants to stay in research, loves the, the topic, loves the lab, loves the location, or their personal circumstances, uh, they generally don't get paid their market value in this type of position. So how do you get, uh, how, do you, how do you take control over your, uh, over your um, uh, destiny as a PhD researcher. So conventional career in academia, it's nice work if you can get it. The irony is that this is regarded by your PI as a conventional career track even though much less than 1% of PhDs across all academic disciplines that includes engineering, where it's higher than 1% in engineering and the natural sciences but, but, but not among all PhDs in general are actually employed this way in tenure track positions. Uh, the field, uh, I'm in nanoengineering, I'm a nanoengineer, but I sometimes pretend to be a chemical engineer. So the, so the case study for chemical engineering is as follows. There are 160 ABET accredited programs in the United States. Half of them are PhD granting, approximately. This is just the back of the envelope calculation. These are R1, so research intensive uh, universities. About a third of them are hiring in any given year. And why are they hiring? Uh, because people retire uh, and they pass away. And also uh, there's something called like failed retention. So supposedly uh, the uh, New York Yankees of universities wants to get some, uh, some hot prospect from some other university and offers them a dump truck full of money and, they, uh, and they, they leave their university to go somewhere else. And then that person is, 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 uh, is, is not retained. So that's a failed uh, retention. And, uh, but the problem is that's like robbing from, one, robbing from Peter to pay Paul. Uh, it doesn't actually increase the number of positions available. 
There are about 1,200 chemical engineering PhDs granted uh, each year, and there are about 200 to 300 applicants per position that uh, are open. As a result, there are about 25 new assistant professors um, at an R1 research institution each year. However, there are, again, myriad reasons why somebody might not want to be a, uh, a university professor. The funding landscape is really competitive. So I gave a talk uh, here about a year ago on personal reflections on grant writing. And perhaps the, uh, the key uh, view graph in that was that I have applied to NSF for funding 11 times and been funded precisely one time. Uh, you teach the same topics pretty much every year. Uh, you review lots of papers from, uh, from outside your institution. Uh, you have to sit on a lot of committees, uh, and you have to learn to deal with essentially uh, near constant rejection of grants, papers, uh, top PhD applicants that end up going somewhere else, top faculty applicants to your departments that end up going somewhere else, uh, failed retentions, <laughs> and so forth. Um, also in many fields, particularly in the natural sciences, but increasingly in engineering, uh, you need to do a postdoc. You definitely need to do a postdoc in chemical engineering and bioengineering, and increasingly mechanical engineering. It's still possible in CSE and ECE, to, depending on the subdiscipline, to obtain a faculty position without doing a postdoc, uh, but it definitely helps. Now, um, uh, if, 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 it, it really depends on uh, on what you what you hope. Lucky, okay. <laughs> uh, it really depends on what you hope to uh, to achieve with your degree. Uh, the upshot is that a career in in a, in a career in, a, in academia, there are a few other careers. Uh, that have as large a consistent, uh, constituency that can make legitimate demands on your time. So that is uh, your students, your department chair, editors of journals, program managers of granting agencies that basically say you have to fly to DC on a red eye in order to review these, uh, these grant proposals. Um, and they don't say it, but if you don't do it, they don't like it and they're in charge of the money. Uh, and also, uh, also, uh, also journalists. There are, however, a lot of teaching positions outside of, uh, of, of R1 uh, institutions. And generally, uh, these individuals are like better teachers than, than uh, professors at R1 institutions. Uh, there are uh, many PhDs go into, uh, into high school uh, teaching. So private schools are private schools and public schools, private schools generally, this is, this is all in general, pay less, but perhaps don't need certification depending on the jurisdiction. Public schools generally do require certification, uh, but the rules vary by the district. But in public school and private school, like in high school, you need to kind of be prepared to spend a significant amount of your time on discipline, you know, quiet down, sending people to the principal's office and so, far, and so forth, which generally doesn't happen. Um, in, uh, in a two or four year institution. Maybe sometimes it does. Um, community colleges. Community colleges attract excellent instructors. 
However, if your interests are beyond uh, teaching in the first two years or your interests are in graduate education, usually there will not be upper division uh, engineering curricula in community colleges, although it could, it could depend on what the instructor brought to the table and what, uh, what uh, classes were available at a, particular, uh, at a particular college. There are lecturer positions at R1 institutions. Generally, they're not a tenure track, but the UC system is actually unique in this regard. We have something called a lecturer with potential security of employment which is a tenure track uh, teaching professor, which is a fantastic job. Generally, the teaching load is twice what it is for a uh, professor who's also engaged in research. But usually, in order to get promoted in such a position, you have to show innovation in teaching. And usually, these people are our best teachers on campus. Uh, technical careers in industry uh, are, are myriad as well. Um, I really got obsessed with this word uh, when I was making this slide deck. Uh, and not every industry job in engineering is the same as every other industry job in engineering. Uh, it can mean a range of things. So uh, this uh, credit goes to uh, my former student, Dr. Brandon Marin, who, uh, who is now an engineer at Intel in Arizona. And uh, I asked him, what are all the, the PhD level uh, R&D positions uh, at, at Intel? And he gave me a very partial list. Process engineer in charge of a particular part of a process, for example, wet etching, lithography, chemical vapor deposition in a manufactured technology. Uh, a technical development process engineer in charge of a particular part of a process on a technology that is slated to come out in the future. Primary purpose is getting the part of the process up to the desired yield. An R&D engineer in charge of various projects aligned with future technologies for Intel. Generally, this can be a point of contact or an assessment of Intel's technical readiness for a specific project. Components research engineers specifically tasked with R&D for added components on microprocessors, resistors, inductors, etc. And uh, you have people who are specialists in, uh, in yield uh, analysis. So this is for people with uh, expertise and interest in uh, materials characterization like scanning electron microscopy, spectroscopy, focused ion beam, uh, 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 milling and analysis, thermomechanical analysis, and so forth. Uh, there are also many positions in industry that require uh, intersectional skills, that is, uh, that is interdisciplinary skills like healthcare IT specialists. If you are, uh, if you are uh, an IT person or have, um, have experience in information technology but also know about healthcare um, operations research uh, analyst where you get into some of the business aspects but you still need to know about, uh, about technical operations and medical science uh, liaison and so forth. Now, uh, now these are, are still in some sense conventionally and I don't mean that in a pejorative way uh, at, uh, by, by any means, um, uh, but we wanna, we wanna swim a little bit farther away from the, uh, the, um, from the coastline. So business positions in industry. So business people uh, dress like this and they're, you know, <laughs> they're always smiling and they're always uh, have a lot of powder on. Uh, but business means a lot of different things. Business, uh, before I knew, uh, before, I, before my uh, wife went to business school, before I had some small amount of business training while I was a postdoc, I just thought, you know, it was people that smiled a lot and wore ties. 
but it means a lot of different things and vastly different things. A business position, uh, accounting, uh, so keeping track of the money, finance, um, how to literally finance different operations, how to do a net present value calculation where you figure out if the project that you're proposing has a green light or a red light. Uh, marketing basically is what it sounds like. Sales. Sales requires a lot of technical expertise. If you're going to sell a, uh, a, a gel permeation chromatograph to a chemical analysis firm, better know how it works. Uh, business development, similarly, business development is working with new potential customers, uh, not just customers, but usually, usually the customer is another business in business development. So say you're an OEM supplier, original equipment manufacturer supplier to some other type of entity within your industry, uh, you will have a BD team that arranges these, uh, these introductions and it's almost like sales of your business capabilities, if not of specific products at a specific time. Uh, program management, so uh, sometimes this requires additional certification, but sometimes not. These are positions um, in, in industry where you are arranging the efforts of a number of people. Strategy is a uh, is really a pure business decision that or business position that has to do with how are you going to position yourself in the marketplace over time um, relative to your competitors based on your uh, your strengths. Of course, that all sounds obvious, but well, of course every every firm would want to do that. Uh, but it, it is, in fact, something that has to be done very deliberately. And moreover, it has to be communicated to members of the team in order for it to be successful. Operations uh, basically is what it sounds like. So, so this is coordinating uh, the, the acquisition of uh, raw materials and production and, and so forth. Human relations. Uh, maybe probably doesn't require technical training, uh, but, uh, but nevertheless uh, uh, extraordinarily important. Um, an MBA and additional certifications may be required for, uh, for these types of positions, but not necessarily. In fact, you can find people in all of these areas uh, that, did, that didn't go to business school. Okay, another area that's sort of like industry, but it's also really not like industry, is working in startups. This is uh, Uncle Moneybags from, uh, from Monopoly. What's a startup? So a startup is a small company in a potentially high growth area uh, that generally has in common the desire for an exit strategy. So uh, what makes a startup different from a small business? Let's say you want to start a lemonade stand and uh, you just want the lemonade stand in this one corner of the neighborhood. That's a small business. Even though you just started it up, it's not considered a startup because it's not, uh, it's not intended to, be, to have this exponential growth where eventually you, either, uh, you, 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 have, you go through some liquidity event, which is uh, an initial public offering or an acquisition. So initial public offering, IPO, so this is where you, where you go public for the first time, you sell your stock to the public. Uh, there's an acquisition, so some bigger company buys, uh, buys the assets of a, uh, of a startup and then you walk away with uh, like Mr. Moneybags. 
And you can have a wide range of employees uh, in a startup. At the beginning, you may not have uh, anyone but yourself. And uh, you have to be prepared to live in your garage and eat out of uh, uh, pizza boxes uh, uh, for, for multiple uh, days until you can get some funding. But there are advantages. Uh, you get to be cool while you're young. <laughs> Everyone wants to be in a startup, especially in, San Diego, especially in California. Uh, you, you get paid, probably not that much if there aren't that many people, um, if the startup has money. Uh, and you get to wear many hats. This is a really uh, important advantage of a startup, that you get to be involved in the technology, but you also get to be involved in the, uh, in the uh, business development and the marketing and the, uh, and the prototyping and the food ordering and the babysitting and the janitorial work. Uh, as well, because you will have to do all of that stuff, especially toward the uh, 10 to the 0 employees uh, order of magnitude. And you get to learn all the aspects of the business. Um, you may, uh, your compensation may be in part in stock options. Uh, and there is potentially a huge payout upon exit, but uh, you have to be in early and you have to be one of the startups that actually makes money, which might be less than 10%. Okay, related to, uh, to technology development is patent law. So careers in patent law generally require advanced technical degrees. In fact, almost all of them do. Bas basically all patent, uh, patent law firms are full of people with PhDs. They don't all have JDs. They didn't all go to law school, but you get farther up the ladder if you do. So you have to be research, uh, fluent in research and, and technical language. And the, uh, the ladder at a patent law firm generally looks like this. You start out as, with a PhD as a technology specialist, uh, where you, uh, you help draft patent applications. You can understand the scientific literature. You uh, generally know. Um, uh, you learn the language of patents, so you can do the first pass at generating a draft. A patent agent is like a technology specialist, but they're generally registered to practice, generally registered to, uh, to represent um, uh, uh, inventors in front of the USPTO. There's a patent attorney, which is the first job on the tier that requires a, uh, a JD, and there's a partner, which is the top uh, level. A partner does litigation, portfolio analysis and development, strategic planning um, for product development. So they're really like, almost like a law consultant to a client. They, they perform a lot of different functions. As you get farther up the ladder, there's less of the grunt work of, of actually um, you know, writing really, really exciting patent language yourself, which um, is, uh, if you've ever read a patent, they're, they're not that much fun to read. So in general, uh, technology specialists and patent agents uh, need a PhD only, but uh, up, farther up the ladder, you need to go to law school. However, patent firms, if you're going to apply in these positions, will often pay non-JD employees to enroll in law school for night and weekend programs. That can be a pretty tough uh, three to four years of your life to work full time and also do uh, do uh, law school at night, but law school 
compared to grad school is really easy. <laughs> also, nobody cares where you went as long as you have the degree. You're already employed uh, in it. Uh, consulting. There are many different kinds of cons consultants. Uh, you can be an independent consultant. You could all be independent consultants right now. Um, it depends on if somebody's willing to pay you for your advice. Uh, an independent consultant, you can uh, create sort of your own business. You can, uh, you can register your business. You can uh, advertise your services, do write reports, do various analyses, market analyses, technology analyses, uh, recommendations. Um, you can produce designs, prototype designs for a firm. It really, there's a really wide range of reasons why a firm would want a, a uh, sort of a, 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 a um, non-permanent, a temporary employee, uh, which sort of an independent consultant is a little bit like a temporary employee. There are technical consulting firms um, that specialize in energy, uh, biotechnology, uh, other physical sciences uh, companies that basically hire people and arrange them in teams to come up with specific problems. Um, it's uh, similar types of jobs uh, as independent, but you're, the work is steady and it's a real uh, position with a steady uh, paycheck. This is not to be confused with management consulting. Management consulting is, is almost purely a business consulting job, but they do hire a lot of PhDs. So the big three uh, management consulting firms are McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, and Bain. Um, you might have heard of these, uh, these companies. Um, UCSD, for example, example, hired McKinsey a few years ago to develop the strategic plan, which uh, is uh, being uh, implemented. It focuses on corporate strategy. So uh, strategy, literally, how are you going to position yourself in the marketplace relative to your competitors? Uh, what do you need in the long term? What little decisions do you need in the long term that contribute to this, uh, this overall uh, strategic direction? Most uh, management consultants are MBAs, but there are definitely uh, positions available for PhDs. They are in demand, especially in certain industries, like certain tech-heavy industries like biotech and energy. It's considered a gateway to the business world. Uh, where a two-year stint at a management consulting firm is roughly equivalent to the to uh, not not it's considered roughly equivalent to an MBA. Uh, it's not uh, you don't get the same theoretical knowledge, and it's all very strategy oriented. But you do learn a lot in this job. But they tend to grind people uh, uh, pretty hard. Uh, there's a very high attrition rate in companies like this. Generally, it's like you either get promoted or fired. So you go uh, two years, two years review, two years review, and you either climb the ladder, eventually you're a partner, or, uh, or you move laterally to a business. Often it's a client that works, that is, uh, that is, that's hiring the consulting firm. 
that you can be hired into in the management level, which is the route that a lot of people go. Um, you know, for example, well, there are just tons of examples. Um, you know, uh, Mitt Romney went from Bain to uh, founding Bain Capital to uh, governor of Massachusetts, for example. Um, you need to nail this, what's called the case interview. The case interview is a kind of a short uh, business problem that asks you to do various back-of-the-envelope calculations and work with a business, uh, business proposition like business X wants to go into the ice cream sandwich business and their fixed costs are this, their, um, uh, their, uh, their initial investment is this, the market size needs to be estimated, uh, how, how long does it take to reach um, to reach, uh, to, reach uh, uh, to, to reach steady state, how long does it take to repay the initial investment, and, and, and so forth. So uh, preparing for this type of position uh, takes several months of preparing these types of case interview uh, questions. Finance. Finance can mean a lot of different things. Many of positions uh, in finance require technical knowledge. Some of them, uh, some of them don't, but they're all quite technical because finance is a technical uh, uh, area. Uh, venture capital is a uh, part of the financial industry, which is a type of private equity formed by limited partnerships, which are institutional investors like um, the like the public school system, like UCSD, uh, university endowments, so like Stanford's endowment, uh, wealthy individuals, so entrepreneurs, hedge fund managers, and so forth that put some of their investment, they, they are a limited partnership, meaning uh, in part that they're, they're not liable if the company they invest in uh, uh, goes down, they don't, they're, not, they're not responsible for paying all the debts themselves, but they do put money in and, and end up owning a part of those companies. And the, uh, the investment here is, is in early stage companies. There are uh, generally two broad categories of positions within venture capital. So analysts, this is a really highly coveted entry level position. There really aren't that many um, VC firms period. And each VC firm will only have a small number of analysts, but they gener generally require a PhD. Um, tasks include due diligence, which is business speak and law speak for research and reading books and looking stuff up on the internet and talking to people, talking to experts, and, uh, and market research. Uh, at the top of the, uh, of the, uh, the, the the organization are the partners, and the partners in a VC firm are former entrepreneurs and former executives that make the deals and sit on the boards of portfolio companies. So portfolio is a number, is the group of companies that are funded by the venture capital, uh, venture capital firms. Private equity, of which VC is a type, um, generally now refers to a company that does debt financing of existing companies as opposed to startups in order to restructure them and sell them for a higher uh, value. So this completely depends on what industry you're going into, wh uh, whether or not a private equity job requires technical uh, training. 
Investment banking, i.e. Uh, Wall Street, requires or uh, raises financial capital for companies by underwriting or acts as a client's agent in issuance of securities, i.e. shares in an IPO or something. Um, now, generally, these people are not scientists but there is or engineers but there is a specific part unless it's a really industry specific part of an of an investment bank but there is a specific uh, job within investment banking that generally does uh, hire uh, quantitative uh, scientists and engineers that's quantitative analysis they're called quants in the industry um, and that's uh, and, and they develop algorithms for things like high frequency uh, trading, um, which is uh, doing trades to make fractions of a cent on lots of trades executed over, you know, half a millisecond or whatever, faster than a competitor kind of thing. There are a lot of positions for PhDs in government policy and grant making that all require technical knowledge. So state and federal governments hire uh, PhD scientists. So here are the, the logos of some state or some federal agencies. Uh, department pro program managers. A program manager is the person in uh, the NIH or NSF or Department of Energy that, uh, that organizes peer review and ultimately gets to make the decision about the strategic direction of a particular program within the agency. So maybe a program manager will be in charge of a $50 million portfolio and they have to decide which labs or research institutions get this money through a variety of, of instruments that they have available uh, to them, i.e. grants and contracts. There are also program manager jobs in private foundations. Now there aren't that many uh, private foundations that make gifts or that make grants of the size of the federal agencies, but there are some, like Gates, for example, uh, uh, Beckman, um, the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, David and Lucille Packard Foundation, and so forth, uh, generally also need to coordinate some kind of uh, strategic direction within, uh, within their, their portfolio of, uh, of, comp of, of uh, of research or, or uh, work that they support. There are policy positions that don't have anything to do with grant making. So the, uh, the White House Office of Science Technology Policy, for example, the uh, California Energy Commission, and there are myriad other, <laughs> I'm gonna stop, I'm banning that word from now on. Okay, policy positions in government uh, agencies. Uh, the intelligence community hires a lot of PhD scientists, particularly in the data sciences. So that's the uh, National Security Agency. Uh, each of the military branches has their own um, intelligence agency uh, as well. And, uh, and uh, data analytics, bio, uh, biological threat assessment, that kind of thing is all uh, in demand in those positions. And also national labs. National labs can be a lot of different types of jobs. Many of them fall into the, the sort of 
uh, traditional R&D uh, role where you become a PI at a national lab, which is a similar job to as a, as a professor, um, but there are some, uh, some differences. Um, and also there are administrative jobs in national labs that require uh, more or less uh, technical knowledge depending on where you are in the organization. Anybody interested in careers in scientific communication? Okay, some people. Uh, these include peer review editors. So oftentimes at a journal, the, uh, the editor is a professor, but often they don't do the day-to-day -day management of the journal. Um, for for-profit journals, it, they tend to be professional editors. They tend to be people for, that work for, um, you know, for example, the Nature uh, Publishing Group, um, uh, which is Macmillan and uh, Springer and so forth oftentimes have professional editors uh, that do not have their own research labs and that do this uh, acquisition of manuscripts and so forth uh, uh, full-time. Uh, managing editors, so managing literally the, the editorial activities of the journal, development editors, so acquiring new content. Then you have uh, journalism. Uh, which uh, journalists, science journalists are interpreter, interpreters of science to the general public. And you have a lot of different outlets for scientific journalism. It's actually, a, uh, it's not a, not a huge business, but you do see it uh, all the time on LinkedIn and Twitter and so forth. Um, and you have big magazines that you'll find at your, uh, at your local airport bookstore, uh, New Scientist, Scientific American, Wired, Pop Science. Uh, National Geographic, and so forth. Um, there's also the first half of the glamour journals like Science and Nature, which are not, uh, not necessarily um, original research, but may be editorials and science news and so forth. Uh, major newspapers and magazines like The Economist has a, uh, has a good science section. The Atlantic, The New Yorker. However, these positions are really highly coveted. Um, you, you have to be an outstanding writer and someone has to uh, retire uh, at one of these places to get, uh, to get those jobs. There are also freelance jobs and oftentimes freelance science, reporter, science reporting ends, ends up going in the bigger name, uh, the big name uh, publications. And there are trade journals. Trade journals hire a lot of PhD scientists. So in my field, chemical and engineering news, also IEEE Spectrum and so forth, every professional organization has a few uh, trade magazines that hire PhD science uh, journalists. Also university press departments. Every R1 institution and often many different uh, units within the research institution has a press department. So the Jacobs School of Engineering has a press department. There are other press departments that handle science on campus because other divisions other than engineering have uh, science reporting as well. It's your job to work with the PIs to, uh, to, to explain the work to the broader public and importantly also to, uh, to make it available uh, to market it in effect to magazines, uh, Glamour Journal, Front Matter, uh, big, big uh, other, other publications um, as well. And those jobs uh, often require a PhD. 
There are other corporate, government, and institutional press departments as well uh, that also work, uh, work with the researchers doing the work. Okay, so uh, this is the, the final slide. What are the upshots? Start your job search at least six months before defending. Start getting used to uh, where, where to look for positions, where positions that, uh, that appeal to you uh, show up. And there are, this is, uh, there are kind of two ways to get a job. Uh, one way is to use monster.com and d.com, professional society listings, company websites, send out 200 applications and hear nothing. The preferred method is to use your network. Network uh, is business speak for your friends, classmates, and your advisor. And something like, I don't know if this is scientific, but it really seems precise uh, anecdotally, is that well over half the jobs go to referrals. In a big company, a referral, which means that somebody at the company knows somebody who would be good for the job, those, uh, those jobs float to the, to the top of the list and they will tell you that. Uh, they, they will tell you that. A referral means you automatically uh, go to the top of the list. It's not so much, there are two ways of thinking about this, like half full, half empty kind of thing. If you, if you don't have a referral for a job that you want and you apply to it saying, well, um, I don't have a referral, so maybe my chances are a little bit less of getting it, but chances are the top three to 10 people on the list have referrals and they'll automatically float past you on the, on the list. Um, it doesn't mean that your application is not gonna be seen, but it makes a huge difference. So please, uh, please work your network as the saying goes. A lot of people are uncomfortable with this because it feeds into the, uh, the stereotype that it's not what you know, it's who you know. Uh, but you have to consider it from the standpoint of if you were in that. Uh, and it also reinforces, um, uh, it, it, it reinforces some not very nice aspects of human nature. Um, but consider the situation that might exist on the employer side that if they are about to outlay $150,000 for a new engineer plus they're including all their benefits, um, and, uh, and taxes on the salary and benefits. Um, they, they want to make sure that, that they, they're not exposing themselves to risk. So they tend to go through their network to make, uh, to make hires. It does not mean that this doesn't work because it does, but the hit rate for interviews will be lower using uh, the first approach. Uh, but it is still a fact that there are very few unemployed PhD engineers. Uh, very few. Uh, but if you don't like your current trajectory, you have to work to change your situation. So that's uh, all I have for you. I'm happy to take questions, keeping in mind that I've never had a job outside of academia. <laughs> this is everything that I know. Um, so thank you.